yesterday and we're going to sing happy birthday to her that's her first birthday just a little bit proud I reckon but I I, I suppose that'd be all right for everybody let's sing happy birthday happy birthday to you Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Amen. 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 
I'm tickled. Isaiah chapter 38, if you will. Isaiah chapter 38. And while you're turning there, we'd like to welcome our radio audience. This is Brother John Lybrook, pastor of the Emmanuel Missionary Baptist Church at Old Town. That's just the side of Greenham County, out of Carter County. You can get to us by taking Route 1 or Route 7. We have a sign on either end of Laurel Road giving you directions to the meeting house known as Emmanuel. We're thankful that you've also taken time to tune in to WGOH here, a portion of God's Word. And today's lesson, today's message is one that I pray that will find its mark in the heart of all lost sinners. But also, even among us that are saved and redeemed, you know, this morning I brought that devotion on how to make sure your house is set in order. Today, as we look at this, we're going to see something that I pray will be enlightening to each and every one. In Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17, we're going to read this and I pray God's power upon the message and upon the Word. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all of my sins behind thy back. I want to bring a message this morning simply entitled, Of His Grace. That's what salvation is. It's all of the grace of the Almighty God of heaven. And I pray that the Lord will shine His face upon this congregation. That we that are here, that are saved, may be praying that those that are unsaved may truly come to know the Lord as our Savior. Our most gracious and divine Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow before Your throne, we do so with thankful hearts. We thank You, dear God, that in time You saved us by Your grace. We thank You, dear God, that You have made a way sufficient for the unsaved to come and claim Thee as Savior. Lord, I pray that You will open the eyes of the blind today. You will unstop the ears of the deaf. You would touch the heart that is stony and cold. Lord, that they may see and they may hear and they may receive the engrafted Word. Father, I pray that You will save souls today. Father, we also pray that those that are here who know Thee as Savior already will look back and remember a time when You made Yourself real to us. Lord, I pray that You'll save souls in our midst. Bless the saved. May this be a day that Thy name is lifted up. We ask all these things of You in Jesus Christ's name. And Amen. Emmanuel, to our visiting friends and our radio audience, what a wonderful thought this Lord's Day of His grace. You know, as I sat and I, I pondered this message throughout the week and I had a, a little outline written down. This morning I got up about 5 o'clock and I went ahead and penned some, some words down that the Lord had laid on my heart. And I was just thinking about something that I know is, is surely upon the mind of those that are redeemed in this house tonight or today. 
about all those that are around us that may not know the Lord's our Savior. My prayer is today that you've been considering your family, your sons and daughters, your husbands and wives, your grandchildren, your acquaintances that may not know the Lord is their Savior. I want you to be praying for them today. I want you to be praying like you've never prayed before. That salvation would come. As I looked at this scripture, verse 17 of Isaiah 38, I normally don't try to build a message on one verse of scripture, but this one is so full that you cannot help but understand that God's salvation is a life-giving force. God's salvation relieves the oppressed and it unchains the imprisoned. So what do I have when I look at this verse of Scripture? I have first of all seen my helpless and hopeless condition. That's what happens to everyone that's ever been saved by the grace of God. They have viewed themselves as God views them. They have seen themselves the way that God sees us. We understand that the God of heaven is a holy God. We know that the Bible speaks about His holiness as as the purest thing that humanity will ever know. Holiness. It says in verse 17, the very first stanza of that verse says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. Listen, when one is made alive, when one comes to know that he's being quickened by the Lord Almighty. In other words, at the very moment that God makes you aware of who you are and what you are, there has to be much great bitterness where peace could reside. One sees for the first time their true condition. And you understand yourself to be in a helpless and hopeless state of being. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible speaks of this awakening as the quickening of the Holy Spirit of God. It says here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now this word quickened simply means to be made alive. To be made aware of what you are, who you are, and where you're at right now. That's the reason why today as we look at that Scripture out of Second Kings this morning, well, the Bible says, set your house in order. Folks, there's only one reason why people set their houses in order because they see danger looming in the future. That's exactly what you see when God, His powerful majesty and His judgment to come. Listen, it's time to set your house in order. It's time to make sure that you're ready. And that's exactly what takes place when you're finally quickened by the Holy Spirit. In the book of John chapter 6, I believe it is in chapter 6 and verse 63, 
The Bible says it's the Spirit that quickeneth. Listen, what he's saying here is that it's the Spirit of God that makes you alive. In other words, when we're born into this world, we're born spiritually dead. And that's because sin's passed upon every individual. For we all come from the first Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, listen, all their offspring from that point all the way to this littlest baby here has had sin passed upon their natural being. Listen, not only their natural being, but their spiritual state. They have been declared dead by the God of heaven. And in order to be saved by the grace of God, one has to first of all be quickened or made alive or made aware of the fact that number one, they are sinners. One of the hardest things I believe that you can ever do is, per, is persuade someone that they're a sinner. It seems to me like in this world that we, we live today, everybody has their own way of salvation and if they just do good enough, they'll be alright. But that's not what God's Word says. Number one, a dead person spiritually cannot do anything. Just as, just as the dead person physically, as we have a funeral and we have a person laid out, listen, that dead person's not going to get up out of that coffin and shake your hand. He's not going to get up out of that coffin and start reciting words of prayers. He's going to be laying there as a dead man just as he is. And that's the same way we are spiritually. Dead and unable to do anything for salvation. Man don't like to hear that, do they? As a matter of fact, mankind always wants to interject his self in salvation. It's what I can do. It's what I have done. Folks, that's not at all the way it is. Real salvation is of the Lord. And number two, real salvation is something that God imparts unto you. In real salvation, you see your helpless and hopeless condition. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, as I look at this portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 9 down through verse 11 here. The Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you have been washed. Folks, I want you to know something. When you're saved by the grace of God, you have had that washing, that regeneration, that, that atoning blood has made a covering for you. And all your sins are truly cast behind the back of the Father. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In Ephesians 4, 21 down through verse 31, there you see again that, that what we have in salvation truly is of God. In verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, If so be that you have heard Him, how can you hear? You have to hear. You have to hear the Word of God. 
This, when you think about what date, what Paul stated in Romans 1 and 16. In Romans 1 16, the Apostle Paul stated that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it was the power of God unto salvation. And he didn't stop there. He went on to say to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The book of Romans states that in order for one to be saved, you've got to hear the word. Amen? You've got to hear the gospel message. You say, well, what is the gospel message? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 simply states that the gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Nothing added, nothing taken away. There's your gospel in a nutshell. The Bible goes on to say as you look at these Scriptures down uh, verse 22 all the way down through verse 31, you see all those things that we were before salvation. We've done those things because we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were guilty of holiness. Listen, we were guilty of unholiness, I should say. The Bible states in the book of Romans that all these things are put in the Word that all the world may become guilty before God. Folks, I want you to know something. Guilt is not actually salvation. There is a guilt that leads to salvation. It's the guilt that's brought about by conviction. Now all humanity is going to know guiltiness. We're all going to come to terms with, with uh, uh, this thing called holiness. And we're all going to realize that none of us are righteous. There is none righteous. There is none that doeth good. There is none that grabs a hold of the, of the horns of the altar of heaven, so to speak. We're all guilty. Folks, I want you to know something. When you're, when you're first made aware of what you are, in other words, when you've first been quickened, and you see yourself for the first time the way God sees you, you're going to know that this was you as an individual. You were full of bitterness. You were full of cursing. You were full of all these things that, that the devil says was in your life. Devil, he's, he's that one that in verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. Folks, I want you to know something. Before our salvation, that's all we've done. We gave place to the devil every day of our lives. But God. Amen. But God. Romans 5 and 8, I love that Scripture. Those two words mean everything to me. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God. In Colossians in chapter 1, in verse 20, notice what it says here, Colossians in chapter 1. The Bible states in verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth, or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. 
Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Amen. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Colossians in chapter 3, verses 5 down through verse 10, the Bible says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Folks, I want you to know something. Once you've been made alive, once you've been spiritually quickened and made to see what God sees, you will desire to mortify this old body. You'll desire to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You'll desire to mortify the sins and wickedness. That's what happens in real salvation. You hate to sin. You know, I've been accused, and and all Baptists, I reckon, have been accused that because we preach once in grace, always in grace, that we believe that you can get saved today and live like the devil tomorrow. Folks, there's no truth to that. No real Baptist preacher would ever say such a thing because all of us know that we're still in old bodies of sin. We still have that second nature within us. We have that or that first nature and, and it's still a, a constant conflict of right and wrong. We've not arrived yet, folks. But listen, real salvation causes us to, to want to live for God. Amen? It gives us a desire to, to do everything for the glory of God. So I pray today that you will see that. Now secondly, I have felt the miserable experience of conviction. You know how that came about? By His amazing grace. Because had you been left alone, you'd never felt that convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Once you've been made alive, once you've been spiritually quickened, it's that Holy Spirit's power to convict you and show you that yes, you were a sinner. You do need to be saved by God's amazing grace. Isaiah 38 and 17, the Bible says, I had great bitterness. He says, for peace, all I had was bitterness. You know why? Because that's exactly what conviction brings. It brings bitterness. My friend, I want you to know something. When you feel the oppression of the Holy Spirit of God upon you, and it seems like everything that you do, everything that you remember, is nothing but the sins of the past and the present. It drives you. It drives you to your knees. Listen, that's what conviction's for. Conviction makes you not only guilty, but feel the guilt. Conviction not only makes you makes you uh, to understand that you're in need, but to know that you're in need. That's what conviction does. That's what conviction is designed to do. Conviction is designed to make you plead forgiveness of God. Conviction is made to make you repent and, and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what conviction's all about. And if you've never had conviction... If you've never been convicted over your sin, over your life, listen, you've never seen salvation. Because real salvation, first of all, brings conviction before. It makes you to feel your unworthiness. It makes you to feel sorry for the life that you have and for the life that you've lived. That's what real conviction does. Conviction makes you to understand that, listen... 
You need help and you need it now. Because in the state you were in, you were helpless and you were hopeless. But God, but God in His Spirit convicted you, made you sorry for sin. That's what conviction will do. You see the guilt and, and the guilt makes you sorry that you are a sinner against the holy God of heaven. He said, I had great bitterness. This is what true conviction will deliver to the one who has been quickened and made alive. You see yourself's true identity and it breeds guilt. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, we have the we have the, the reading, the passage of scripture. It talks about the Pharisee and the publican. The old Pharisee, as you look in the scripture, listen. He never felt the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. He never felt conviction that made him sorry for his, for his deeds. As a matter of fact, if you look in that Scripture, all he done was bragged about what he had done all his life. All he done was, all, all he done was bragged about the fact that, that he had all these good accolades and made up to his name. I've done this and I've done that. Folks, I want you to know something. The Bible says that salvation of the Lord is not by works of righteousness which we have done. Amen? Listen, I want you to know something. That old publican, as, as, as this old Pharisee got through of his prayer, standing back, maybe grabbed himself by the, by the coat collar or whatever he might have been wearing, and he said, look what I've done. God ain't I good for you. You know what? There's a lot of people in this world today just like that. Look what I've done for you. You know what that old publican did? The old publican couldn't even look up to heaven. But he smote himself on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one was truly humbled by what they were? I believe that old publican not only was made to feel His worth, but He was made to see the Holy of Heaven. And in that moment, when He said, Father, forgive me. You know, as I look at that, as He smote Himself upon His breast, that's a sign of contrition. That's a sign of humility. He didn't grab himself by the bootstraps or his coat collar and say, look what I've done. He just smote himself. And again, it's a sign of, uh, of brokenness. When one smotes themselves upon the breast in the Middle East, listen, that was a sign of, of, of pleading forgiveness. That old publican did just that, didn't he? As we see these two different responses, one was self-gratifying, self-lifting, self-satisfying. The Pharisee didn't experience bitterness of spirit. He boasted of his all of his accomplishments. He felt no remorse for his actual condition. But then the old publican. Folks, I want you to know something. If you're to ever be saved, you're going to have to come to the place the old publican came to. Amen? You're going to have to come to the end of yourself. You're going to have to smoke yourself upon your breast and say, Lord, forgive me. 
For I have sinned and come short of your glory. This is how the grace of God works. It awakens us first of all. This enables us to actually see ourselves as the holy God of heaven sees us. Sinful, dreadful, helpless and hopeless. One true conviction comes. Once true conviction comes, it brings with it a, a great desire to repent. And I believe as you look at that old publican, as he smote himself on his breast, what he was saying was, I'm sorry for I have surely come short of your blessings, of your glory. You go back to Acts 17. Acts in chapter 17. I can't remember the words precisely, so I'm going to turn to it. In Acts chapter 17, notice what it says here for just a moment. Verse 30 and 31. As as the Apostle Paul was on Mars Hill... And Mars Hill was a place where all kinds of idols were placed. It was one of the great religious places of worship. And there was an idol for every individual in the city, it seemed like. Every sect of people had their own religion and idols. Paul looks around and he sees one of these idols that is, is, is indicated it's to the unknown God. You know what Paul did? He began to preach unto them, make known unto them the God of heaven. This unknown God, he said, is the God of heaven. The Bible states that he went on to preach the glorious gospel. And in verse 30 it says, In the times of this ignorance God winked up, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men in that He hath raised Him from the dead. In and of ourselves, we truly are helpless and hopeless. Our works will not relieve us from conviction's hold. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6 and 7, the Bible says all of, our, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Man, that's pretty strong, isn't it? That's pretty strong against, uh, against that one who is, who is saying, I'm going to get there by my good deeds. That's pretty hard for that individual to really come to terms with, isn't it? How's he going to get there by his good deeds as if, if the Old Testament Scripture says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags? How is he supposed to do that? Well, that's Old Testament. Don't worry about that. Okay, let's go to New Testament. Let's see what it says about our deeds. See what it says about our good works. Listen, I want you to know something. The Bible states it also in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know the reason why we're not saved by our good works? It'd give us something to be bragging about, wouldn't it? It'd say, hey, like that old Pharisee, look what I've done. See, that's what the Pharisee was doing. He was, he was banking on his good deeds. 
He was really relying upon all that he had done. And he, he was bragging to the Lord, look what I've done. You know what God's going to say? Same thing he says in the book of Matthew. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Why? Hey, listen, I want you to know something. There's going to be a lot of preachers go to hell one day. You say preachers are going to go to hell. Yes, the Bible says there's going to be those that have said, have we not prophesied in thy name and done many wonderful works? You know what he said? Get away from me. I never knew you. You know why? Because the blood never was applied. Yeah, there's going to be preachers go to hell. There's going to be Sunday school teachers go to hell. There's going to be deacons go to hell. There's going to be church, church members go to hell. Why? Because they really never trusted the Lord as their Savior. You know, you've heard the term being grandfathered in. You're not grandfathered into heaven, my friend. You get there by Jesus Christ and Him alone. You don't ride the coattails of your parents. You don't ride the coattails of your of your grand old granddaddy and your grandmother. Listen, you go to you go to heaven because of what Jesus Christ done for you, and by believing that He done it just for you. Jeremiah chapter thirty one. Again. You know, I, I love old I love Old Testament, I love New Testament, I love the Word of God's what I love. It's full of it's chock full of truth. Jeremiah thirty one. Notice what it says in verse eighteen. Now think about this. Verse eighteen and nineteen, the latter part of verse eighteen it says, Turn thou me and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Verse 19 says, Surely, after that I was turned, I repented. You know what? When one is truly saved by the grace of God, when they've been made a real alive and to realize what they are, when they've got through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, listen, they're ready for repentance, aren't they? You remember that day, don't you? You remember that time. He says again, Surely, after I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed and I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. The third thing I want you to realize today is I have a wonderful deliverance promised. All because of the grace of Almighty God. Isaiah 38 and 17 once again, we go back to our text here in Isaiah 38. Verse 17, once again, notice, let's read this whole verse again. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. We've had... A promise of deliverance. That promise comes in John chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. The Bible comes here, and I'll tell you what, I love these old truths. John chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, that's, that's, that's deliverance promised. That's what we have. 
You say, well, how does that come even? You go to John chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, that you see, that's what you're doing today. You're hearing it with your ear. I'm praying that God opens your spiritual ear that you may hear for the first time. You say, I've heard this all my life, preacher. Listen, the difference is going to be made when God opens your ears. When God touches your heart. You see that promise of deliverance out there. That's what you need today. You need that in your heart, don't you? John 5.24 again it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Where are you at right now, my friend? Do you believe? And I know there's people in the world today that don't even believe that there's a God in heaven. I know there's people today that lay lay claim to, well, I believe we're just like a dog or an animal. We're just going to die and that's going to be it. Folks, that's not the truth. God's Word plainly states it for us that once we die, we're going to stand before Him. We're going to give an account one day. Those that are saved are going to stand at the Bema Seat of Christ. And those that are unsaved are going to stand at the great white throne judgment seat of God. I don't know about you, but I'd rather stand at the Bema Seat of Christ. Because the end of the judgment of the great white throne, there's only hell that awaits. As a matter of fact, when you stand before God there, the Bible says that heaven and earth flee away. You say, well, what does that actually mean? That means there's no place to hide. It's just you and God in your life. You know what? I thank God today that my, my sins are covered in the blood. I don't even want my, my sins revealed. Listen, I wouldn't want them revealed to you, let alone the holy God of heaven. But the Bible says that when I was saved by God's amazing grace that the blood of Jesus Christ covered me from all of my sin. He washed away my sin. The Bible says He, he throws Him behind His back. You know what that is in Jewish tradition? When the Father would throw whatever it was, any wrong deed, wrongdoing, He'd throw it behind His back. But He was saying it's never going to be brought up again. <laughs> Amen. Folks, that's what we have when we have salvation. He says, when I've thrown it behind my back, it's never going to be remembered again. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. It's in the place where where it can never be retrieved again by the God of heaven. He says, I've done away with it. All I see when I see you is is the Son's blood. Folks, I want you to know something. That should mean everything to you. I know it does to us that are saved. You say, well, I need to understand this a little more. Well, Romans chapter 10, verse 8 down through verse 17, I believe is a perfect diagram for salvation. Verse 8 says, What? The Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. The Word today is nigh everyone in this house. You hear it with your ears. Has it penetrated your heart? 
That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Folks, I, I, I don't even need to go any further. There it is. You want to know how to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But then again, I come to this verse 16. And your heart has to break. A pastor's heart breaks every, every time he walks out the door and a person, and some, at least one, has not been saved by God's grace. It's just like a I go back and I think about what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said to one of his young preacher boys. A preacher, he was all down in the dumps and was just broken hearted. Brother Spurgeon asked him, he said, what was the matter? He said, well, I expected somebody to be saved. Mr. Spurgeon spoke up and said, do you expect that every time? He said, well, no. He said, there's your problem. I believe we all expect salvation every service. Folks, I do. I pray, and matter of fact, if you only heard my prayers, every service I'm in this house praying God save the lost souls in this place tonight. Save every lost soul that hears your word today. Folks, that's my prayer. And I ought to be a praying that. That's, uh, that ought to be my expectation, and actually it ought to be your expectation, praying for salvation. But the, it goes on to say, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? You want to know how salvation comes? Look at this. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's how you get saved. A wonderful deliverance is promised in salvation through His love and grace. For by grace are you saved. I go back and I think about our text title again. You think about the merciful God. And I'm blessed because I have a gracious and merciful outcome. Isaiah 38 and 17, the Bible again says, But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. Is that not what was done in Acts 16, verse 22 through 34? When the old Philippian jailer, as he looked up, he saw the men of God and everybody still in the prison after he had been shaken apart. And he looked at Paul and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I've got to be saved. Folks, that's where you need to come to right now. You need to 
you need to come to that that very thought. I need to. I need salvation, and I need it now. They said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all thy heart." Listen, thou shalt be saved. Not only you, but your household. Oh, that salvation would come to this place today. That's my prayer. Now, lastly, I want to come to this. I have a comforting assurance. Amen. That Holy Spirit that has taken His abode within me gives me assurance every day. The devil wants me to. The devil wants me to doubt. The devil wants me to be in, in, in questioning my salvation every day. But verse seventeen says it all. For thou hast cast all of my sins behind thy back, not to be remembered any more. Oh, what salvation we have. What does that do? It brings you peace. It brings you comfort. In the book of Matthew in chapter 11, the Bible states in verse 28 down through verse 30 something that I think everyone needs to get a hold of. Jesus Christ, as He speaks, He said, Come now, come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Isaiah one eighteen. I just about quoted it just a second ago. He says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be a scar, listen. I don't care how, how black, I don't care how red, I don't care how, 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 what color they are, how noticeable they are. All of your sins today can be forgiven. He says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. He wants you to think about this for just a moment. You may be the wickedest person. No, you're not the wickedest person on earth. Paul wanted to lay claim to that, but I dare say that there's a lot more wicked than he was. Though your wickedness be the greatest that you could imagine, he says, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. You can have your sins to a place where they'll be remembered no more. The Bible says in Psalm 32 and 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Think about it. This is the comforting thought to everyone that's in this house today. I can be forgiven completely and wholly. I can have all that slate wiped clean. Not to be remembered anymore. In Psalm 79, and I'm going to come to a close here in just a moment. Our radio audience is just about to leave us. But in Psalm 79, verse 8 and 9, Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercy speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. 
Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of Thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for Thy name's sake. I've told you many times about some of the process of of getting rid of deadly air when you was in the refinery. I mean, in a pipe, a vessel, or whatever it was. They would bring hydrogen in and they would purge the system. They would hook this huge truck up to this line and they would, that what it does, it chases all the, all the danger out. It chased all the, all the carcinogenics out and, and everything was evacuated. You purged the whole system. That way man could get inside and do his work. Folks, I want you to know something. When we are purged of our sin, think about this. When you're purged of, of your iniquity, God eradicates, He chases out every bad thing. And nothing can harm you anymore. That's what salvation brings. That's the good in salvation. That's the good in what Jesus Christ done for us. He gives us a comforting assurance that our sins have been completely wiped away. In Psalm 142 and verse 7, the Bible states, Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. How do I know all these things are going to come to pass? Because the promise that's given in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise from Jesus Christ Himself. And that comes to every soul that's been saved by God's amazing grace. I'm going to come back and get you. I'm going to take you home to be with me. Oh, may God help us to see that. You say, well, what other comfort do I need? Well, listen, I'll tell you. In John 14, 27, Jesus Christ says, I'm going to leave another comforter with you. He says, I'm going to leave somebody with you that's going to give you peace. Who's that? That's that Holy Spirit that resides within each and every one of us that are saved by God's amazing grace. You know how far the devil can chase you? All the way back to the cross and he cannot go no further. Well, I'll say this. He can chase you back to the grave of Jesus. That empty grave that is. And he can't go no further because that's where Jesus won victory once and for all. Folks, I want you to know something. Salvation is a joy. And salvation is here to be had by anyone who will come unto Him and trusting and believe. You say, well, all these things come to pass in my life. Being awakened. Being quickened. Being convicted. Coming to repentance and being saved by God's amazing grace, every bit of it will come true in your life. Trust the Lord today. Believe what thus saith the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. Let's all stand, please.